Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080. I picked this opening because the music sounds almost like the end of the world. At least for a few seconds there in the beginning, these dramatic horns. And sometimes when you're working in news, it feels like the end of the world. I mean, we're barreling toward a possible federal government shutdown. That would be, what, 10 hours from now? Six injured critically in a car crash in Fairfield. And add to that extreme rainfall in the last day or so. And I wanted to count. I wanted to know how much rain came down. And this morning I asked our meteorologist Sam Samperi in the WTIC Weather Center. I said, Sam, how much rain did we get Friday? I realize we might not be able to count everything that happened overnight or into Saturday because it's somewhat fresh. You want to wait for a full day to go through. But what happened on Friday? And he said a total of four to six inches, depending on where you are in Connecticut, Four to six inches of rain fell yesterday in parts of Connecticut, particularly in western Connecticut. And rainfall this year at the official reporting station at Bradley International Airport is 51.71 inches, which is 16.94 inches above normal. And that is as of midnight, Friday night, into Saturday morning. It does not include any rain from past midnight. And I can't stop but think about our friends in Scotland. No, not the country, but Scotland, Connecticut. And for those of you who are not so familiar with Connecticut's geography, anytime I do anything in far eastern Connecticut, I always denote where it is. I always tell people where it is because people, they just don't seem to think a whole lot about eastern Connecticut, at least from west of the Connecticut River. At least that's been my experience personally in talking with people. So Scotland, Connecticut, not too far away from the Rhode Island border. It's in Wyndham County, the quiet corner of Connecticut, as some might say, a town of about 1,600 people. And they made statewide news a few weeks ago when three compromised bridges fell apart. And it was because of heavy storm water and rainfall that happened on a Wednesday afternoon in severe thunderstorms. We can't go through a thunderstorm now without worrying about damage to our infrastructure, largely because we've had so much rain this year and everything, all the rivers and the grounds are swollen because of all of that water. But I just can't help but think about the 18 people, the six homes between those three bridges that were stuck. I grew up in rural Connecticut. I grew up on a dead-end street And uh, I just feel for them because I know what happens when a tree goes down at the end of the street and you're stranded. You can't drive away. You can't quite get out. The power lines are tangled in there. It's not safe. You end up having to walk through the woods to get to a side street. Believe me, been there, done that. And that's what those people in Scotland had to do. And when I hear that parts of Connecticut dealt with four to six inches of rain yesterday, I also think about Norfolk, Connecticut, in Litchfield County, which had the big road washout earlier this year. I believe it was what, July? I believe that was in July. Norfolk had that terrible, quick rainstorm on a Sunday, and the water was so strong, it washed out part of a state road in Norfolk, Connecticut. So Connecticut roads are not immune to this. I'd say that it's rare. I'd say that it's unlikely, but it's happened 
in one way or another twice already this year. And so I hope that if anybody in public works is listening, make sure you go around and check out your town, your municipality, your city extra carefully on Sunday or Monday whenever you're back at work. Look for signs of erosion. In fact, in my town, my hometown that is, of Andover, Earlier this year, we noticed that there was a road that appeared to be eroding and washing out, so we reported it. And so this isn't necessarily just for anybody in town works. If you are aware of a road that is not looking too healthy, perhaps because of all the rain or all of the recent rain over the last number of years, it's been cultivating, it's been getting worse little by little, it's eroding. You don't want that problem to happen where you're stranded or your neighbors are stranded or emergency personnel can't get in, which was the big worry in Scotland because with those bridges down, what happens if one of those homes had a fire? You couldn't get to them. And so the town of Scotland rushed to find help and a private company in Rhode Island ended up giving them a bridge that they could put up at least temporarily. But we're talking about a town with $6.5 million for its whole budget for the whole year. And to replace the three bridges, the money is that it's at least $10 million. Well, there goes that in the town of Scotland. So they have a lot to worry about. And so if you're in a rural part of Connecticut, even a not-so-rural part of Connecticut, given all of the rain and the word that we have received recently of bridges compromised because of rainwater, roads washing out because of rainwater, my recommendation is, my hope is that everybody will be vigilant and look for signs of that kind of wear and tear on roads across Connecticut as we go into the next week. Now, that said, we are going to have some fun today. I want to talk about the Connecticut State Library, which is so cool. And I have heard from so many people, Morgan, where is it? Ever since I made my first trip there in August and I made my second trip there in September, I'll tell you guys all about it. People have said, that sounds like a fascinating place. Where is it? So people don't even know, from what I understand, that Connecticut has its own state library. And if people already kind of had that idea, that notion that we do have a state library in Connecticut, they don't know what it offers. They don't know where it is. So I will tell you all of the information that you need to know about the Connecticut State Library. Hartford City Hall has something really cool going on with its stairs, and there's going to be an event showcasing Rare footage of Jimi Hendrix. It's all on the way on Spotlight Connecticut. I'm Morgan Cunningham on WTIC News Talk 1080, WTIC.com. This is WTIC in Hartford. Hi, it's Nadine in Clinton. I'm listening to Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Like I said, the question that I've been getting a lot the last five, six weeks or so, ever since I first went to the Connecticut State Library, is, Morgan, where is it? Well, I can tell everybody that the Connecticut State Library is a fantastic resource. And I know people are probably listening to this and they're saying, library, that's boring. No, it is not boring. It is a very interesting place. It is rich with Connecticut information and history. And so if anybody here has to do any research at any time, keep the Connecticut State Library in mind. All right, Morgan, why are you there? I went there because I am taking on, and I have been doing for the last two or so years, a big research project on the history of WTIC. We're coming up on our 100th anniversary, February 10th, the year 2025, and uh, we're doing a big campaign starting next February, and it's going to run all the way up until February of 2025, 
and uh, more details and specifics on that to come. But a big part of it is retro audio, retro information, interviews with people today who were part of the station's history yesterday. And I needed some information, and I came to find out that there were some donations over the years from WTIC of audio tapes to the Connecticut State Library. And so I went knocking on their door looking for some particular items, which they were very accommodating, very fast in finding, and so supportive of my needs and my project and my research. And so I wanted to talk about my experience at the Connecticut State Library, which is located in the most unusual place, at least in my opinion, that would be the State Supreme Court. So in downtown Hartford, there's the State Supreme Court, not far away from the Legislative Office Building, not far away from the Connecticut State Capitol. It's literally facing Capitol Avenue, and there is some easy and more accessible parking on Oak Street, which is right off the highway off I-84, so you go on basically onto Capitol Avenue, or you cross across Capitol Avenue onto Oak Street, and you'll be able to find some very convenient parking there, and then walk to the back of the state Supreme Court. So you're not going to go in the front of the state Supreme Court. You would go into the very back of the building where there is the public entrance for the Connecticut State Library. And I asked my assistant who was helping me at the library, I said, well, why is this? Well, it wasn't always located there. It was located elsewhere in Hartford. But, you know, nothing stays the same forever. Things change. And that was the case with the state library. They ended up putting a number of things in an off-site storage facility. And then they ended up moving to a portion of the state Supreme Court. So when they moved into the state Supreme Court, they ended up acquiring the state's probate records from pre-circa 1950. And all of this information is available to the public if you request it. If you go in, there's a research area where you can go and look and review um, for instance, the probate records. And this is important for people who are interested in ancestry or genealogy. You can go and research it. And to be honest with you, I had the opportunity to see it behind the scenes. It looks overwhelming. There are hundreds. You know what? It's not even hundreds. There are thousands of drawers, thousands of drawers from floor to ceiling of probate records per town, A to Z, uh, you know, the year 1850 to 1860, 1861 to 1870, and so on, okay? And uh, it, like I said, it's very overwhelming. And there are big filing cabinets, and I had a guided uh, opportunity, a guided tour to go through and just observe with my own two eyes how many drawers there are of records there. And what you could do is you can request to learn more information about ancestors. Like I said, these particular records stop around 1950. So if you're doing really old ancestry, if you're doing really old genealogy research, you can find perhaps something that you're looking for in the state probate records available at the Connecticut State Library. And here's what's really fascinating to me, and I feel bad for the poor person that had to go through and do this. They card cataloged everybody. Let me repeat that. They card cataloged the entire probate record system. So what you could do is, if you're looking for, I'm just going to pick an easy name, John Smith, and John Smith lived in Haddam, okay? You could go and look for John Smith in this card catalog system, and it will tell you exactly which row it's in. It will tell you which drawer it is in. 
And you could go back and you can do that. And I'm told one singular person, I don't remember the name, it was a simple name, Joe, Brian, Chris, something like that. You could go and look for that information and it will tell you exactly where it is. How many years did that take? I really want to know. We kind of had a laugh there at the State Library. We kind of chuckled. We were like, this is a ridiculous undertaking to go through and do that and organize it and make sure that everything is in place. Now, there's something else that really fascinated me, and I never knew that this even existed. You know, I know the probate records exist, but don't necessarily know where they're housed. There are aerial photos of the entire state of Connecticut housed at the Connecticut State Library. They are done on roughly, I'd say, 8 by 10 prints, and they are in boxes after boxes after boxes per town. So, you know, there's the town of Hebron and Glastonbury and the city of Hartford. There's Wethersfield. There's Greenwich. There's Stamford. There's Waterbury all over the state. If you pick the town, all 169 of them, they are there. And why? You know, I asked, why did these pictures get taken in the first place? Why were they saved? Well, the answer is that the Department of Transportation took these aerial photos of the whole state of Connecticut. I was fascinated to know that it would be them. I thought that this might be a deep Department of Energy and Environmental Protection thing. And around the year 1980, they may have done some before then, but circa 1980 is when these pictures were taken. And it was to document roads in Connecticut, but also to document the environment, which is why I thought that the deep may have been involved in this. And so what people do today is they'll come in, and they will look at these pictures to see how the land has changed in the last 43 years since these pictures were taken. And you can, I, I don't have a comparison of this to, say, Google Satellite or anything like that. But I'm told that researchers will go in there and they'll be able to determine what kind of land erosion there's been, particularly at the shore. They'll be able to tell if there's been any kind of maybe chemical detriment to the land or the trees surrounding roads. Um, based on looking at these pictures and looking at that history that is documented in roughly 8 by 10 prints, aerial photos of every square inch of the state of Connecticut. Fascinating, and it's available at the Connecticut State Library. Here's something that I found absolutely fascinating. Um, there are rows after rows of books. There are several floors, in fact, of just historic books and documents, and what really astounded me was the Connecticut Revolutionary War Collection. And I want to know if there's somebody out there that's actually looked at these, that's actually read any of these, because, number one, I don't have time to sort through 200-plus books. I might, maybe one day I'll check out one and uh, go to the research part of the library and just look through it. But this is very dense material, and it's overwhelming when you look at two big walls full of two, 300 books. They are leather-bound, and every note and document that is known to exist in Connecticut history pertaining to the Revolutionary War and Connecticut is stored in those books. They are affixed to silk paper, which they say is not necessarily ideal for preservation, but I guess they didn't know that in the 1930s when they made these books. Uh, but they are there. Um, it's They're difficult to read, though. I mean, you're looking at very old paper, and it's in decent condition. It's in decent shape, but it's not perfect. There's some yellowing. The handwriting is very difficult. The ink, in some cases, has faded. Um, so the Revolutionary War Collection is literally Connecticut's living history upon the foundation of our state before the Revolution War, during the war, and after the war. And it's there for researchers if you can sift through it. But if there is anybody in this audience 
who has happened to go through any of those Revolutionary War collection books at the State Library, I would be fascinated to hear from you. I think that we could turn it into a talk show, do something cool with it. My email is morgan.cunningham at odyssey.com. You can email me anytime if you know anything more, if you've done research, if you're a historian on the Connecticut part of the Revolutionary War, how Connecticut was entrenched in the war, what you know about it. Maybe you've made that trip to the State Library. Maybe you haven't and you want to go. Um, but email me, and uh, I'd be very interested to hear from you. Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, dot Cunningham, C-U-N-N-I-N-G-H-A-M, at odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y dot C-O-M. If you're a researcher that knows about these books, if you know about the Connecticut state of Connecticut and the Revolutionary War, I would just love to hear from you. And if anybody in the audience is just curious about the Connecticut State Library and you would like to go, the hours are 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. It is not a full day of 8 to 5. The reason being, over the years, um, the library itself physically has gotten smaller, but the collections have gotten larger, and the staff has, uh, you know, relatively stayed the same in size. It hasn't gotten bigger. Um probably has gotten smaller, but I don't have information on that. And so everybody that works at the library is diligently sorting through new information and storing all of that accordingly and properly and indexing it all. But they're also helping researchers like me and you find what they're looking for in the library and setting it aside. So it takes effort to go through and find whatever it is that somebody is looking for. It took a few days for them to find the WTIC tapes that I was looking for. And uh, and I've got them looking for more. And so there is effort, and so they're very mindful of that. It takes time in the morning to set things aside. It takes time in the afternoon to put things away. And so the library is open to the public between 10 in the morning and 2 p.m. Again, the Connecticut State Library, located as part of the Connecticut State Supreme Court. It's just off Capitol Avenue. Parking is easiest if you're on Oak Street, which is just off of Capitol Ave., you could email the staff, you could call up the library and make an appointment to meet or ask them what you're looking for. Maybe they'll be able to direct you better. Their number, uh, you could just go to the State Library website, which is ConnecticutStateLibrary.org. That is CTStateLibrary.org. Or for those of you without access to the internet and you'd rather call, uh, wait for Monday morning after 8. The number is 860-757-6500. 860-757-6500. One more time for the State Library, 860-757-6500. I was amazed at the level of history that they had. And the coolest thing, other than finding those WTIC tapes, I think, was their collection of Connecticut and the Revolutionary War. I'd love to synthesize all of that. If only I had the time. We'll be back on WTIC News Talk 1080. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Well, I'm hearing it again, and this time from our producer, Kevin Corza, back at the studio working all the controls. And he said to me during the break, he said, Morgan, I've never heard of this place. He's talking about the Connecticut State Library. Dude, this is the point I'm trying to make. Our tax dollars are funding this amazing facility for in-depth researchers. For casual researchers, for somebody who might just be bored on a Wednesday midday and you want to go check out the State Library, 
Okay, there are so many great things on file at the Connecticut State Library, and having been there, having been helped in the last month and a half or so, um, I'm a big advocate now, and I'm a big supporter of what they've got going on. It's open to the public, weekdays, 10 a.m. to 2 in the afternoon. You can reach out ahead of time, make sure that they have what you're looking for ready to go, ctstatelibrary.org, or give them a call Monday at 860-757-6500. That's 860-757-6500. I mean, preserving the Revolutionary War in Connecticut, that is absolutely amazing to me. And that's what they've got going on there at the State Library and so much more. I'm just particularly fixed on that collection, but they have much, much more available. And so Kevin, he's helping me prove a point that nobody knows that this exists, or very few people. So if I could get one person from this audience to go and support that library, if I could get one person to go and read something and learn something there at the State Library, I feel like I will have done my job. All right, now talking about history and talking about a library of just information, a dear friend of mine, Arthur, he is a music historian. And I feel that he ought to write a book. He's thought about it before. Um, But uh, he is just a wealth of music knowledge and research, and he has spent years collecting music items and memorabilia, videos, you name it. He has it. And he, from time to time, likes to share that with the public. And so coming up in Willington, Connecticut, at the Packing House, and we've talked about this venue before, which I find such... I find it to be a unique venue. I find it to be just a a different place that people just don't expect. I mean, when I think of Willington, I think of greater stores and Yukon, and I think mostly residential. I think pizza because you have Willington Pizza there. But I don't think about performance. I don't think about entertainment. I don't think necessarily about research and information and public speaking. That is until the Packing House came along a number of years ago, and Arthur... Maybe once a year, he puts on something about a collection that he has. And in this case, it's about his Jimi Hendrix collection. He has a collection of rare Jimi Hendrix television appearances and performances on video. And he's going to be sharing them during a free event coming up later this month at the Packing House. And so I wanted Arthur to come on the show with us on Spotlight Connecticut on WTIC and talk a little bit more about what he has coming up late this month and early next month so people can get this on their calendars and check it out. Arthur, hello and welcome to the show. Hey, Morgan. I can't believe it. Back on the radio again. Something to write home about, I believe. Well, usually I'm used to being on college radio, but this is a little bit of a different venue for me. Well, we're happy that you're here to talk about a very special evening of Jimi Hendrix that's coming up. Is that right? Yeah, we're going to actually have two uh, different nights. It's going to be two Friday nights that are separated by one week, and uh, October 27th and November 3rd. And the uh, films will be... Starting in the 7 o'clock range, doors will be opening at 6.30 at the Packing House at the Millworks in Wellington, Connecticut on Route 32. There is something that is vague. It says, we will be showing rare and lesser-known films of Jimi Hendrix from his television appearances and concert performances. That's vague, isn't it? Yes. Well, what I'd like to do and when I first proposed this was to search through uh, materials that were out there that constituted the lesser-known 
less often seen films that Hendrix had appeared in. He did a number of television appearances people are not always aware of in England and in Europe. So it looks like we're going to be able to have a, a prominent section of English performances that he did, uh, London, England, and material from 1967 to 68. And then uh, the second half of the film that will be shown on uh, October 27th will be Hendrix working with his uh, alternate group, the group called Band of Gypsies, and that was not his regular trio. It was done for a special performance in 1969. Are these recordings readily available, or did you have to really work to find these and get these in your collection? Some of them have been issued in different uh, manners by the Hendrix family when they've put out different videos. But a number of them have been relatively obscure. They've been part of the collector's market for a number of years. So not all of them, it's kind of a divided issue there, that not all of them have had really a wide international commercial release. What are you hoping that people will learn from watching these movies and videos that you're going to be showing of Hendrix performing long, long ago? Well, I'm hoping that it will be an inspiration for the younger viewers if we get uh, younger guitarists or, or younger audience members, and then for everybody. I think there's there's been a tendency not to take him as seriously as a songwriter, and people have sort of you know looked down on some of the '60s players as as people that were you know leading this rather. Uh, free-form lifestyle and, you know, not really paying attention to the artistry of, of their work. And it, it becomes very evident with Hendrix the more you watch him that he was very much a craftsman at his songwriting. He had a lot of influences, including, which not everyone realizes, uh, the influence of Bob Dylan, who he tremendously respected for his uh, lyric abilities. He was a huge fan of Dylan's uh, wordplay and you know, very much felt even that, that certain Dylan songs were almost like ones that Jimmy himself had written. He felt that uh, when he listened to certain songs, he had such a, an affinity for them that it was like something that he had you know, dreamt up himself. So those qualities show up in his work, and you start gaining a tremendous amount of respect for him as a composer and as an artist, and not just the sort of the wild man of the guitar reputation that most people are familiar with. People might associate him more with drugs and a lavish lifestyle and all of the things that come along, at least stereotypically, with being a rock star. Yeah, very much. Uh, like I said, you, you start gaining more of an appreciation of him. And also, if you hear about how diligent he was in his work in the studio, where he would spend many hours crafting some of the songs sonically, as well as you know putting together the sections of the written composition, he would spend many hours trying to build the sound and do uh, multi-track recordings and overdubs. So he was not just uh, 
the kind of haphazard player that many people have in mind, and I think that starts coming through when you really take more of a, a deep listen to them. The dates for the shows are Friday, October 27th, and the following Friday, which is November 3rd. Arthur, I'm wondering here about these shows. How long are they going to be each night? Well, we're expecting that the shows will be similar in length to the regular uh, films that they have shown at the Packing House in their film series. So you're going to be talking about upwards of two-hour uh, performances that we'll be seeing. And then uh, we're also planning to have a raffle on those two nights for some of the uh, Jimi Hendrix vinyl and other items that we have that relate to his career. Can you give any specifics what those other items may be? Yeah, we have uh, on the first night, we have some vintage vinyl of some of the albums that came out in the 1970s to 80s period, including uh, Nine to the Universe, which is a, a, an out-of-print album of a number of things that came out at that earlier stage. And then uh, the second night, we're going to have... Uh, brand new vinyl pressings that came out in much more recent times, as well as some of the books about Jimmy, including uh, one that was uh, developed and released over a year ago by his family as uh, Jimmy 80, a celebration of 80 years. It's almost hard for me to believe, Arthur, that there are still things being released that we haven't heard of Jimi Hendrix's and that there are out-of-print materials of his, things that once were released, like you just mentioned, that out-of-print record, but he has so much popularity still to this day, a lot of impact, you'd think that that would all be out there readily available. Same with these movies and videos that you're going to be showing. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that with, you realize that with most artists, it's a similar situation where they have never come out with most artists with a really comprehensive set. Like I was mentioning to one of the record store dealers that one of the few truly comprehensive sets I saw was uh, the Bear Family Company in Germany came out with everything by Chuck Berry in one huge set. So it's like a, a three, $300. I was going to say the price must be prohibitive. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like for the a $300 average show. set. Uh, for Chuck Berry, but you don't find that with a lot of the other artists, and that's why so many of these things are scattered around. It's it's just too bad, in a sense, that the, the more diligent collectors don't get a chance to have a, a comprehensive buy on a lot of these things. Well, Arthur, could you remind everybody what is coming up on October 27th, that's a Friday, and the following Friday, November 3rd, at the Packing House in Wellington, it's your Jimi Hendrix double night special. Yep, we're going to have the some of the rare films of Jimi Hendrix, including some performances from London, England, and from uh, America and New York. And uh, we're going to also have our raffle on those two different nights with different material each night for Hendrix Media, including uh, CDs, LPs, and books. And what about tickets? Is this free? Yeah, these events are free. And, of course, uh, for the Packing House, they're a state-registered nonprofit, so they welcome any types of donations to their uh, state-registered organization. 
What about BYOB and F? Yeah, the BYOB thing will still apply as it does at the packing house during any of their uh, music performances. You can bring uh, beer and wine and a picnic basket or pizza or any of those uh, easily mobile items that are ones that you can enjoy as your meal or your snack while you're enjoying the event as well. What a lot of people do is they go down the road, maybe a mile or so, to Willington Pizza. Yes, Willington Pizza has been associated with uh, the packing house during many years now, and uh, there's a, a very close relationship there, so a lot of people get gassed up, so to speak, with all of the materials that they need before they get down the street there and uh, enter the Millworks building. They have all of the materials that they need for uh, a good meal and a good, enjoyable experience. Mm, pizza and Jimi Hendrix, what a Friday night that will be. It's going to be something that uh, people should enjoy, and our poster says it, the poster that is the not the one that you had previously seen, but the one that is issued in the beginning of October, which says that we should listen and watch together. That's what it's about. Arthur, thanks for coming on Spotlight Connecticut. We appreciate it. All right. Well, thank you once again for this opportunity, and thanks to all who are interested in our events. Music historian, I think he's Connecticut's resident music genius, Arthur Ravozo, putting on a special Jimi Hendrix show coming up on Friday, and uh, there are two Fridays, actually, Friday, October 27th, and Friday, November 3rd, doors open at 6 p.m., at the Packing House on Route 32 in Wellington. I'm Morgan Cunningham. It's WTIC News Talk 1080. And you can find me on social media, Facebook and Twitter, at MC News Talk. All right, so just say something so I can get a level. What will I say? All right, that, that's good enough. I, I just, I'm looking yeah, yeah. at the meters. Um, first, you're going to say, well, actually, that's an outtake. Whoops. I thought that was the finished one, but uh, all right. Nonetheless, we are back on WTIC News Talk 1080. I was paying attention more so to some breaking news that has come down, and I believe that we'll have more information on this at the top of the hour. But the breaking news is that uh, the House has voted to pass a bill averting the government shutdown. That is the breaking news that just came down in the last minute or so. I was scrambling to get that confirmed and figured out uh, to be on the air here. So we did want to just say that the House has voted to pass a continuing resolution to avoid a government shutdown. What I know is that the House of Representatives in the last hour had been voting on a stopgap funding bill. And so we'll break this down in the 3 o'clock news on WTIC News Talk 1080. Well, to wind down here, I wanted to just talk about something unusual that I saw at Hartford City Hall. And I, it wasn't unusual at all. It was actually beautiful. Um, I hadn't been there before. I mean, I've been outside of it. I've never been inside of Hartford City Hall. I've been inside the state capitol. I've been all over uh, the city of Hartford. But never, for whatever reason, have I been inside City Hall. And it just so happened that on Wednesday, I had the opportunity to interview outgoing Mayor Bronin, uh, Mayor Luke Bronin, uh, who is not seeking re-election this fall, and I was doing a long-form interview with him, had the opportunity to go see his office, and I was astounded at how beautiful that building is. 
Uh, it's a Beaux Arts building. It is French inspired. And uh, it was completed way back in 1915, not that long ago, I guess, but long enough to be a classic, long enough to be a gem. And as I walked up the stairs up to the mayor's office, I discovered that these were stairs that I had seen many a time before on social media. And I saw them particularly with weddings, people getting married. They go on these stairs because they're a spiral staircase that span three floors. If you get the angle right, it actually looks much, much bigger. It looks more than three flights of spiral stairs. And there's carvings and there's stonework. And I don't know what it is, if it's marble floors or something, but it is very gorgeous. And it's so stately for a beautiful wedding. And I've seen these wedding pictures on social media. I've seen videos taken there. Apparently, people go there all the time, and I had said this to the City Hall staff. They said, oh, yeah, well, we'll miss after the administration is over. We'll miss walking down and seeing all of the beautiful wedding photography and videography that's in progress. And so for anybody that is possibly considering that or you just want to see these stairs, I recommend it at Hartford City Hall. The Spiral Staircase. Worthy of pictures. I might have to get some there. We'll be back next week on Spotlight Connecticut, and I believe we'll be talking about a special pumpkin event for kids in Southwestern CT. Goodbye. Spotlight Connecticut with Morgan Cunningham. Embracing what's fun with Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080.